Are you looking for the best tips and tricks to run a successful dental practice? You're in the right place. Welcome to Bulletproof Dental Practice, interviewing some of today's most successful dentists with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Peter Bolden with the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Today, I wanted to do a little episode on something I was thinking about when I was driving my daughter to school this morning. And I was listening to a lecture series last night and, and someone kept talking about working on your business, working on your business, quit working in your business. And, you know, it made me pause and think because like working on your business, what does that truly mean? And what does that mean to us as dentists? No one ever taught us what working on our practice really looks like. In fact, most dental offices don't really run like businesses at all. And when I say that, I mean that there's like sloppy financials, systems, processes, and marketing, and they're all kind of done haphazard or by a process that really wasn't intentional or created by you. So I see an almost ignorance is bliss mentality with some of our colleagues. And at times in my career, I did the exact same thing because it was so easy to ignore. Dentists and, and dental offices typically succeed despite themselves because we have this bared entry to dentistry that I have spoken of in, in the past, which is basically you have to have a dental license, obviously, to do dentistry. So there's a, an ability for us to do really well because of that limited supply and demand, you know, limited supply of dentists and lots of demand for dentistry, obviously, in our economy. So imagine the upside when true business acumen is applied to a dental practice in an area when there hasn't been. So let's keep kind of unpacking, like working on your business a bit, and hopefully you can listen to this and audit where you are currently. I'm not going to make this podcast super long, and I may even break it up into two parts because, um, you know, sometimes it's easier to digest in two parts. So being honest, this may make some of you uncomfortable. Sometimes when you hear information or, or get challenged on information, it can make you uncomfortable, but in the uncomfort can come change and that change will benefit your entire ecosystem, what, meaning you, your patients, your team, and, and your family. And for others, it might feel good as just a confirmation saying like, check, check, doing that bold and check. And, and you know, that always feels good too when we're um, listening to someone and getting confirmation on things that we're doing in our, in our personal or professional life. The myth as it applies, I should say, yeah, the myth of, of business or the, the e-myth essentially is that it applies to dentistry is that most people start businesses are entrepreneurs risking capital for profit. But in reality, most people who start a business are technicians. And the fatal assumption is, is if you, if you understand the technical work of the business, you understand a business that does that technical work. And that's not the truth. Let me put it another way. So because we have a high level of understanding of our dentistry, we think that that uniquely qualifies us to run a business that provides that said dental work. Let's let that sink in for a second. They actually, you know, are pretty exclusive in that, you know, they, they can live independently. Business is business and dentistry is dentistry. The problem with most practices is that they're set up to be people dependent. And instead, they should have been designed as system dependent practices. Remember that the the real product we are quote unquote selling, and I know some dentists hate the word selling because, but for bear with me for now, the real product we're selling is the business, not the dentistry that the business is providing. So why is all this important? 
you, you may say, my business is running fine, everything's good, I'm profitable, I'm very happy. Yes, but what if you get hurt? Or what if that key employee that has all those systems and processes that he or she designed and all that intellectual property you've invested in them, what if they just give you your two week notice? What's gonna happen then? Also in the age of corporate dentistry, which is running like a business, eventually will be swallowed up if we aren't kind of on point with running things like a business. Hoping this is kind of making sense. Essentially working on your business means one thing, creating a system for everything so you can get superior results consistently, predictably, and with less stress and work, period. I think that's really ultimately what's what's in there. And then creating systems dependent practice, not a people dependent practice. And everything, so everything you do in your in your business should be documented as such, documented in manuals, documented in checklists, everything, because this will help organically start to build that systems dependent practice. All right, so to further the point, working on your business will also foster things organically like better teamwork, more efficiency, delivering on brand promises, you know, the customer experience. One thing that I hear a lot is, you know, I'm, I'm pretty too, I'm too busy, too busy to work on my business, or I don't have time to work on my business. But you know, if you're too busy, quote unquote, too busy to step back from the drill and devote real time to this, like not on a Friday when you're burnt out from 40 hours of dentistry, I mean, real allocated time you need to devote to this. And if you can't, if you can't do this, then you can't expect a different result from your practice, right? Like we all know that's the definition of insanity expecting a different result when you're doing the same thing over and over. All right, so to give greater context to what I'm talking about for a moment, think really hard about your practice. Everything that you've created, you know, you've been in business a long time, things are going fine. The team you've assembled, the clinical workflow, the way you provide the patient experience, your marketing, your reputation. Now imagine that someone comes to you and says, hey doc, we wanna open 50 of your dental offices tomorrow and have it just like what you've created. Would, would that give you anxiety? You know, would you be able to say, cool, I'm ready to scale? Because really this is what it means to have a kind of assistance dependent practice, being able to scale, being able to amplify pretty effortlessly because the systems are in place. You know, asking that question, could you do it? Would that give you anxiety if someone came to you and said, hey, we wanna open 50 of your locations? Would your business be ready? Let's uh, let's keep going into this a little bit. I want to look at kind of what three characteristics of some thriving practices and businesses have, and the roles these people play. A thriving practice, in my opinion, should have you know three kind of categories of the, of a person. In the beginning, the dentist has to almost share these in equal parts. <laughs> so the three parts are these, um, or the three roles are these: the entrepreneur, the managers, and the technicians. So the entrepreneur is the visionary who thinks ahead, keeps planning for the future, is reverse engineering where he wants to go, is setting the GPS, is leading the team, you know, is he, he or she is leading the team in a way that, that people really can get behind and get aligned. The manager establishes that work order, creates the consistency with the team. And then the technicians is, is whoever's doing the technical work, whether it's assistants, hygienist, the doctor himself, associate doctors, you get it, right? So everyone at the core, you know, everyone at the core, one of those things resonates with them more or less, right? And, and for a lot of dentists, it's number three. They're the technician, right? Like someone else can do the business. I'm going to do the dentistry. And that's great. 
but everyone is suited for one aspect or another, but ideally you should be able to do all three in equal amounts, like I said earlier. You need to be able to do the technical work, especially, especially in the beginning to help cut costs because you are the cheapest laborer. I get that. You, the dentist, right? You need to be able to train employees effectively. You need to be able to take risk and think creatively and keep your eyes pinned to the vision and goals. The paradox of all this is, you know, when, when someone says working on your business is, um, you know, when you've run a successful practice, sometimes you have to start giving up the thing that made you so successful in the first place, which is the dentistry. So in, in order to permit your business to grow, you have to kind of step back a little bit or reserve some bandwidth. I don't know, you know, maybe it's not stepping back clinically, but reserve some bandwidth and some energy to really devote to working on the business. There's three stages of a practice that I've kind of seen over my years of just kind of looking at it and I'm a little bit obsessed with this kind of stuff. So there's three stages of what I've seen and some, some of my colleagues and just across the nation studying dental practices. Stage one is, is called a glorified job stage. And I don't mean that in any condescending way. I'm just saying that the practice success is predicated on how much dentistry the owner is doing and not focused on what the business needs per se at this stage. The dentist is the cog in the wheel and the success is predicated on, on everything he or she is doing. So that is, in my opinion, unsustainable, meaning they're doing everything. They're doing the dentistry, they're doing the payroll, they're doing all the kind of the, the, the heavy lifting in the practice. And that's just unsustainable. And that leads, in my opinion, to burnout in perpetuity, I should say. You know, for a while you have to, you, for in the beginning, in the inception of stuff, you kind of have to do some of that stuff, especially to, to initiate the process and to create those processes. So stage two of a practice after someone has gone from the glorified job stage and they want to go into the eager stage where you recognize that you're on a treadmill that is unsustainable in the glorified job or in stage one. You also recognize that you want to grow your business, but you don't want to make a faster treadmill because let's face it, like you're getting tired, you're worn out, worn out. you've done dentistry for a long time. You're not trying to create a bigger treadmill or a faster treadmill, but it's here where you, where you say, I need to grow and I need to delegate and I need to help have people help the vision and goal of the practice. And here's where you start hiring people to help you grow the practice. You start delegating that help into marketers, consultants, office managers, associate dentists, more hygienists, whatever it may be. Most people at this phase though, they freak out because they quote unquote, they don't do it as well as I did. You know, and you start seeing people that aren't done, things being done the way that you did them in stage one and you freak out. And then eventually, you know, you revert back to stage one, I'll handle it, I'll do it. And you start running everything again, right? And so that cycle continues back to stage one. And eventually, you know, going back to you being the cog in the wheel, you start doing the payroll again, everything, all these, all these massive heavy lifting objectives of the practice you start doing again. If you can stay in stage two and effectively train and delegate and find balance and find people to fill the three roles really well that I spoke about you know, entrepreneur, manager, technician, find people to fill those roles in really well, you can move on to stage three. And stage three is a more of a mature practice. You know, it's a mature stage. Your practice has clear vision and purpose. In this phase, you handle more of the entrepreneurial stuff. You hire managers to keep technical work on point. This practice has an operations manual that could be reproduced 50, 500, 5,000 times like we spoke of earlier. This practice is obsessed with customer service, obsessed with efficiency, obsessed with growth, clinical excellence, online presence, 
reputation management, social media, technology. You see where I'm going. <laughs> the practice can't afford to be obsessed with, with these things because unlike phase one, the doctor is not handling everything. So there's a freshness and there's some bandwidth left for doing all this. So a lot of this starts, like I said, with creating a system for everything. But first we have to assess where we are in this whole process. And I think situational awareness and personal awareness, awareness are way undervalued in our professions. You, you, and well, and in life, you kind of just have to kind of stop for a second, look around you, look at where you are, be honest and authentic with yourself and say, okay, where am I? Where is this practice truly? And so I, I have a couple like tips that I think that could help start the process of quote unquote auditing where you are, because you look through a little bit of rose colored glasses. You, the owner, you, you kind of look through it, right? You don't see the dust ball in the corner. You don't, you know, you don't see the, the inefficiencies of the day, you know, because it, everything works and you're pretty passionate about your office and you have a love for your office. So you kind of overlook things here. Here's some tips I have. Take a day or take some time and tr truly look at the pain points in your daily operation. Meaning talk to your team, talk to your front desk, talk to your assistants, talk to your office manager. They all know what it could take to kind of make practice next level, right? So spend time in, in discussing their pain points or what they're struggling with in day-to-day -day operations. Or, you know, are they going from point A to point B, point C, when they could just go, you know, straight line to, to C. I hope that made sense. But you get it. Like there's, there's always shortcuts and sometimes people are, are being handcuffed by inefficiencies. Spend some time talking to the people who are in the day-to-day -day operations helping you run the business. And then, of course, if you don't have a manual, like that's a good place to start doing it and start really working on that manual together with that person, meaning the front desk or business admins. Start working on a manual for that, working on phone verbiage, talking to assistants about creating checklists, talking about an office manager to run their entire process and what, what their day looks like and how they run payroll. So start making a list of all the things that you want to do as you audit your day and start finding these pain points in your operation. So another tip I, I've employed over the years is like I alluded to before was that we are all kind of looking at our practice through rose colored glasses as our employees, because you know, you overlook things that you don't really want to see or that you see them all the time. But remember, a new patient or patients don't see our office that often and and they come in with you know alertness and looking at everything and forming opinions about the practice so this next tip is really just act like a patient or hire a secret shopper or patient to come in and have them document their entire interaction and really create some good notes and documentation for you and when i say their entire interaction i mean from the time that they how easy was it to find you on the website you know, once they found you on the website, did the, did the information deliver and answer their questions? Did you deliver value there? Once they picked up the phone and called to schedule, was it easy to schedule? Was the person on the phone able to, to were they trained well? Did they have the answers for them there? Were they efficient in getting them scheduled? Once they got them scheduled, was it easy to find the office? How was the parking? You know, how long did they wait in the reception area? I.e., I did not say waiting room. Right, that's a bad. I don't like that term. So, how long did they wait in our in the reception area? How was their interaction with the clinical team when they were when they were walked back to, for treatment or the hygienist? And then truly ask for the suggestions from them once they've compiled this on. Like, okay, I see you documented this. What would have made your experience better today? 
and start creating a list of the pluses and minuses of their visit. And so it's pretty easy. Start fixing the minuses and amplify the pluses. But then if there was someone, if there was someone on your team that possibly created one of those minuses, use this as a learning example. That minus might be from improper training or whatever, and you're probably ultimately likely to blame. You know, if you look at kind of things like extreme accountability, which is one of the key aspects to leadership. Ultimately, if someone's not doing something right in your in your ecosystem, in your corporation, it's it's likely because you didn't have the time to train them or didn't give them the right insight. It's not because they just wanted to like not do it correctly, right? Like everyone gets that. And then if you win the positives, like like praise it, praise it publicly to the person who did it. Like you get more of what you bring attention to. So now we know we have some gaping holes. We need to plug. What now? All right, so let's start doing some of the work. So start making a process for everything, and I mean everything. Assume that you're writing this for like an elementary school class. And I'm not being condescending when I say like, but everything kind of has to be on a fifth grade level for uh, human level of understanding because you don't want someone to claim that they didn't understand. And people interpret things differently and in different ways and at different times. So again, I'm not insinuating that people in dentistry are fifth grade level. I think it's quite the contrary. I think, I think our profession has some of the brightest and autonomous thinking people in, in that I've ever seen in any business. So now if you started to do this, you're truly working on your business. And these manuals and these systems and these checklists, they're going to be living documents because your practice is dynamic. You know, the economy is changing. Your practice, your, everything is changing. So like you, your, your manuals can't be a set it and forget it. And you create these and put them in a drawer and never use them. They are going to be living documents. They should be dog-eared by the time you know, living around your office so that if someone has a problem, they know how to, they know, and you can hold people accountable. You can say, Hey, I noticed that you did it this way. Let's go over this. Let's go over the manual and, and see if that really was the, was the way we've designed it to be done. Right? Like it, it, it can be an, an omnipresence of, uh, of accountability. Once the documentation process is underway, I would recommend looking for silos of your operations, right? So if we're truly going to start now continuing to unpack the business. Let's look at the silos in which we have to kind of maintain of that business. And when I say silos, I mean, it's just sometimes easier to put like buckets where, where things would live so that you can kind of put, put on your marketing hat sometimes or put on your business admin hat sometimes or whatever, you know, put on your metrics and accounting hat. So sometimes it's better to just put it in buckets because you can't think of everything all the time. You have to sometimes put on different hats. So I would recommend having different manuals and then for each silo, they may live in each one of those manuals. For example, the four silos that I would recommend or these are things that I look at are a clinical operations, silo one. Silo two would be a business and admin operations. Everything associated with that could live under there. Um, a marketing and a growth and online reputation that can live there and metrics and the KPIs and all that stuff, that'd be the fourth bucket. So for example, you might create a hygiene manual or hygiene assistant manual that would obviously live inside the clinical ops silo. Then you may create a verbiage manual or a front desk manual, and that would obviously live in the business operations silo. It's nice, again, just to think that there are four big buckets or silos to work with. Whew. So, okay, I think that's good for part one. I'm gonna break this up into two parts. And then from here, I'm really going to start diving into the silos a little bit more. And I think that's good for today. Thanks for bearing with me y'all today. Thanks for letting me rant a little bit. Thanks for letting me kind of explore this thought that I was having, like I said, when I was driving my daughter to school and um, looking forward to kind of continuing, continuing the talking 
part two of working on your business. Hope you all have a blessed day. See you later. Thanks so much for listening to Bulletproof Dental Practice with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. Online at BulletproofDentalPractice.com. We'll catch you next time.